Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening to the rest of you guys. We are back for another episode of Bitcoin Magazine Live. I am your host, Q, coming to you yet again from my mother's basement. I am joined by my co-host, Chris, and we are joined by special guest today, Calvin Robinson. Calvin, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join us today. How are you doing? My absolute pleasure, Q. Thank you for the invitation. Is that why you've blurred out the background? Because you're in another <laughs> basement. I, I candidly, I am. I have been living with my parents for some time now. This is my room, and technically speaking, it is downstairs. So the running joke has been, I am in my mom's basement. <laughs> uh, one of those trolls on the internet. <laughs> no, I spend a, a good majority of my time on the road. So it it uh, it's nice to not have to pay rent to store all of my stuff when I'm not on the road. Um, but I'll start I'll start by asking you this, Calvin. What uh, you are based out of London, and you have made some comments over the course of the last few years of what you have noticed and seen. Uh, I'd love to maybe have you talk a little bit about some of the things that you've seen happen both in your country as well as just globally that you're noticing and paying close attention to. Oh gosh, where to start? Um, I think the biggest thing for me has been the shift away from democracy. So we, we like to proclaim that we are a democratic nation, we're part of the democratic West. Uh, one of the reasons we are supporting um, Ukraine at the moment is because it's apparently a democratic country. But I don't think any of those things are true at the moment. I think we've stepped away from democracy roughly around 2015, 2016. So I think it was the start of Brexit in the UK. I think it was the start of Trump's presidency in the US, um, where we've lost faith in, a, in the democratic process. And it is a, a system that takes trust. It's not something that structurally works without uh, having a winning side and loser's consent. And we saw that the Ramon, sorry, the Remain camp would not concede a loss over here and would wanted to keep having a referenda until they won. And we saw in America that the, the Democrats could not face defeat. They, wouldn't, they would not see Donald Trump as their president. And likewise, when he lost uh, in the second election, he would not concede defeat either. Uh, and without a losing side, there is no winner. So there is no democracy. Uh, and, and the same, you know, we see this in Ukraine. There was pretty much a coup d'etat uh, a few years ago. And the West forced their um, candidates in. Um, I'm, I'm not saying this is why there's a war going on. I'm not saying I'm in favor of war and I'm not saying in favor of Putin or Russia, but I'm saying there are more things at play here and that democracy is not as straightforward as it used to be. No, absolutely. I uh, I had to quickly check our YouTube stream to make sure they did not deplatform us yet again for, for using some choice words there, but you're absolutely right. I think we've seen a, a slow demise for some time. Um, I'm curious what your thoughts are on like we come from this from an American perspective. So forgive me for, for some of that. Um, we see in America, a lot of influx of dollars being spent to essentially buy your votes from large corporations. And there are laws that are in place to allow that. Um, I'm curious how you see that play out in UK elections. Do you feel like corporatism is taking over a little bit of your politics as well? Not in our elections. So our, our election system is very, very different to the United States. We have caps on how much you can spend and it's it's negligible in comparison to what happens over there uh, there's very very little in money in politics in the uk in that sense but we do have massive amounts of lobbying going on but what's what's the problem over here is that we've seen a lot of spending an incredible amount of spending over the course of this so-called pandemic we've seen more spending than we've seen probably you know decades and decades leading up to it uh, under any socialist government or anything like that um and what we're seeing as well is a lot of excuses coming out at the moment. We're seeing Russia being blamed for inflation, um, even though, of course, we're going to see inflation if the government's spent billions of dollars and borrowed billions of dollars and is printing money left, right and centre, trying to spend its way out of a pandemic. Um, we're seeing tax rises, we're seeing energy prices increase, fuel costs increase, and a lot of this is being shoved on to the war, uh, that even though it, was, it began way before the, the war between Russia and Ukraine. Uh, and we're seeing a lot of distraction. Is, again, the, the war is being used as a distraction against all of this too. Um, we've got a so-called conservative government that should be economically conservative that is um, promoting the idea of tax increases uh, in order to, to help so-called 
save the economy. As we know, that will actually make things worse. So the money over here is an absolute mess. I don't even know how we're ever going to recover from the mess that we're in. Yeah, I mean, in in America, it's no different. We've seen about 80% of the dollars that are in circulation right now get printed over the last two years. Um, We see the money printers just continue to go regardless of what country you're in. England, uh, the US, we talk about it in this show a lot, how Turkey is dealing with 52% inflation year over year. It, it is a consistent theme, unfortunately. Um, I, I want to give you the opportunity, Calvin, what if you had the position to just make a sweeping declaration and, and change everything right now, starting today, what would be your first course of action in regards to the financial policies there? In regards to financial policies, First of all, I cut taxes. I get rid of value-added tax or VAT that we have on um, purchases over here. Um, I cut national insurance. That's the tax that they're suggesting we should increase. That's you know the contributions taken from your wages. I'd enable people to keep more of the money they earn. Uh, that's that's the first thing I'd do. Secondly, I would separate the state from the banking system. So we have a Bank of England at the moment, um, and the Bank of England is promoting the idea of a centralized digital currency that it has control over. I think that's the most dangerous um, idea that we've ever heard, because of course that will lead to a social credit system that will lead to you being able to only spend your money in the right ways on the right things at the right times. Uh, and you know, depending on who's in power, that could be very dangerous. So I'd like to see a separation of church, uh, sorry, church and state, of finance and state, um, and potentially uh, taking on board. So what we've seen in other countries is the idea of things like Bitcoin and decentralized uh, currency systems being approved of, um, if not made uh, legal tender. Well, that that feeds right into what I wanted to, I guess, ask you next. Based on the, your conversation of, or based on your statements of, let's separate the financial markets, the banks from our state, feels like Bitcoin is, it does exactly that. What are your sort of initial thoughts? I know at one point you'd spoken with Saifedean as well about the Bitcoin standard. Would love to gather your thoughts on what your observations are or have been about Bitcoin right now. Yeah, it seems to me there are, you know, there are lots of people who say Bitcoin is the answer to this. Bitcoin is the answer to that. I think maybe Bitcoin might be um, the first iteration of the answer to a lot of these problems. It seems there are a lot of limitations um, as in capacity, um, time, um, resources, um, uh, all of these things are issues that we'd have to work around. Um, but it seems to be a good uh, a, ca- a good example case, a, ca- a case study of how this kind of decentralized digital currency could work in the mainstream. Do you feel as though there are regulations in place or talks of regulations that could inhibit us exploring what Bitcoin could do. I know in America, there are conversations around that uh, on both sides of the aisle. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think we're gonna see more and more limitations and restrictions put in place over the next few years uh, as governments discover that this could potentially lose them control over the financial system. Um, So we need to move quickly and make sure that this spreads as as rapidly as it possibly can. And to do that, we need consumers and retailers to get on board. Right now, it seems to me as someone as who's on the periphery of this, that it's very much a niche movement. That, you know, there, there are lots of people involved, but it's, it's very much an in-group. And it needs to be something that is wider than that. It needs to be, I need to be able to nip to my local corner shop and use Bitcoin uh, without having to have someone explain to me how it works, what apps I need to install, um, which wallet I need uh, and and t- talking to me about the time it takes to tran- for transactions to take place, all of that, all of that needs to be cut down so that the average Joe can have a Bitcoin wallet and the average shop can receive uh, payments in Bitcoin. I mean, one of the things that I've been very loudly talking about is like the government regulations that go into place of taking one app or business from one country to the next territory are so difficult. Uh, I don't believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, something like Cash App, which is one of the most used applications to access Bitcoin. It has helped many who are unbanked here in America get banking access, allow them to get direct deposits. You're able to buy fractions of stocks, a whole other conversation there. But that essentially allows them to just very quickly have and hold their Bitcoin right there on your phone and transact it quickly. I always also love to highlight, I know you mentioned the idea of like, oh, how fast these transactions go or how much they cost. It is important to note, and 
and uh, highlight the fact that a Bitcoin transaction is fully confirmed and validated in 10 minutes time. Whereas if you or I were to use our credit cards right now, the merchant's not going to see that money for the next 24, possibly even 72 hours. So while the merchant may not see the benefit of it today, slowly but surely they will on top of the credit card fees, whatever the Visa or MasterCard or American Express wants to take both out of the merchant's pocket or sometimes get it passed along to us. It goes back to the idea of let's not tax people. Let's not tell people how or when they can spend their money. It feels as though Bitcoin does, and I hate to say it like this, it does solve a lot of these problems that you're discussing. It allows us to transact freely whenever we want on whatever we see fit, so long as we have access to the internet and we actually hold Bitcoin. Um, the knowledge of it though, I'm a little curious because you talk to an ordinary person and by ordinary person, I, I just mean the sheeple or the people, the masses, they don't know how money works. They don't understand fractional reserve currency or fractional reserve banking. They just buy into the system that they've been told, hey, this is what we, this is just how you do it. Could Bitcoin not just be sort of forced onto the masses in, in a similar way, the way the US dollar was forced onto the world? No, because we learn about the fiat system through osmosis. So we learn about it uh, not explicitly, so no one sits us down and says, you know, this this is legal tender, but all this note means is that someone owes you the value of this money, and then when you, money in a bank in your bank account doesn't actually exist, and it's it's all loaned by this, and no one sits down and explains that. But what you see is that actually people give you this note. That means that you can receive an item, and then you can put that note into your bank. It appears on your statement, and you learn these three things as you grow up uh, through experience. Um, so. For, for that, for, for Bitcoin to take place through osmosis, that would be a long, slow process, uh, and many people would have to take it up first. There has to be a better way of educating people on how money works and how it could work. I don't know what that is, but I'm just suggesting it needs to be, there needs to be a better no, way. No, this is, this is what we try to do is help people to really, I think, start to ask the question of what is, what is money? That's how it really started for me. I came from the finance world. I was investing in stocks and a friend of mine essentially brought Bitcoin up to me. And as I did my due diligence, I bought into just the idea of it as an investment vehicle, but it genuinely was me answering the question to myself of what is money. Um, I don't know if it's fair for us to expect or even ask of everyone to go and ask that question of themselves because most people just don't. Most like the majority of people don't do that. So I want to figure out a way to, to cater to them because ultimately it doesn't work if not everyone is using it. I can't I can't go to the grocery store and say, oh, well, this is the grocery store that accepts Bitcoin and this is the grocery store that accepts dollars and that's the one that accepts Visa and that's the one that accepts MasterCard. It becomes a little too siloed off. I personally don't think that that helps us, but I'm curious if you maybe disagree that there is a way for everyone to start answering and thinking about these questions. I, I don't know about us answering the questions because you know I, I would say money is an idea, money is a promise. It's not an actual tangible thing, but that's I think that's a, a, a depth that most people don't need to go into. All we need is convenience. So the, one difference between America and, and Great Britain, for example, is that I can go anywhere in this country without my wallet now and just use my smartphone whether I can get a taxi to the train station, I can get a train ticket, I can go in the, the, in the shop, in the station on the way there. Um, pretty much every day, every part of my day, I can, I can just use my mobile phone and use contactless everywhere. And I understand that, you know, I, well, it might have changed since the last time I was in the US because I haven't been there since COVID. But the last time I was in the US, it was much more difficult to go out of the, of the house without your wallet because some, some places would have contactless, some places wouldn't, some places you'd have to swipe and sign, um, some places would only take Apple Pay, some places would take different things. And it was just so you know broken up and just, it, it, it didn't feel convenient. For, for a new method of payments to take over, it has to be convenient. So there has to be a way to make it so simple for, as you call them, the merchants, the retailers to take this on board and so simple for, consumers to install the app and just get going with it, that it, it just becomes a non-issue. And whether that means building it into Android and iOS um, so that there, there's a, a wallet straight there, you know, part of the Apple Pay wallet or, or the Google wallet might be a way forward. Um, but even then you've got problems. You know, I'm, I use Coinbase uh, or I did until recently. And even that I'm thinking, do I actually want to continue using these guys after they've been so political recently? Um, that, you know, that's another problem. Who controls the wallets? I mean, that, that is a very excellent point that you bring up it is the idea of 
of UX, I can confirm, unfortunately, no. It, it genuinely depends on where you go. Some grocery stores will accept Apple Pay. Some you have to have the credit card and insert the chip. They won't even let you tap the chip. Um, but I think you also have in the UK, and correct me if I'm wrong, like it's not necessarily a cash industry anymore. There's Cash is not typically transacted on a day-to-day -day basis. Is that an accurate assessment? Yeah, and that worries the hell out of me because we've pretty much Why? become a digital world, uh, a digital country. It was quite bad uh, even before COVID, but over COVID, they, they they really pushed us to go entirely digital. Like they removed the caps on Apple Pay and contactless payments. You know, there used to be a limit of, of like thirty pounds or fifty pounds. They increased it. Now you can pretty much spend whatever you like. Like I said, with just your mobile phone, you don't need cash. And actually, I found that some places are reluctant to take cash now because they think it carries germs um, and therefore we don't have any tangible money anymore we don't have money that we can hold in our hands and keep somewhere safe it is all in the control of the banks which are all in control of the government and that is terrifying i mean that again is just yet another perfect example of what bitcoin helps and solves it, it is that uncensorable it is unchecked until you get it onto some sort of an exchange unless and like, for example, I have a small business, very small business. I own a couple of vending machines and I accept cash. I accept credit cards, but I also accept Bitcoin. And that's my choice as a merchant to accept all of these forms of payment. I still have to market all my taxes as income as such and pay taxes on it accordingly. But that's up to me to do it. And I think right now there is still that opportunity for anyone to just be able to, hey, if you want to pay me in cash and pounds if you want to pay me with credit card fine or if i'll i'll take bitcoin i'll i will deal with that on my own but i think as some of these earlier adopters people who see the long longevity benefit of separating our mon monetary system from the state itself despite there being the intermediary of the banks is vastly beneficial you do touch on though the fact that coinbase is essentially no different than a bank at this point. They are operating for the state they have done exactly what the US government has said and they shut down accounts in russia they don't know if those are Russian nationalists or if those are actually people who are pro-Ukraine or even what if those are just VPNs from the US, the UK, some other country that are actually just routing their transactions through Russia. It's um, outrageous that they've seized money in that way. I, I, I find it, it's tyranny. There's no other way to describe it. I mean, your, your comments as well uh, in regards to the truckers up in Canada. Uh, I love your your thoughts and takes on that. We have been covering that at Noxium over here at Bitcoin Magazine. We were turned away at the border trying to go up because I was not vaccinated enough in the eyes of the Canadian government, which was, don't even get me started on that sort of uh, tangent, but would love your thoughts on just what you are seeing as far as state controlling who can and access money. I think it's profound that you told us that you could at one point only spend 30 to 50 pounds on Apple Pay to be limited by what? Just because it's a digital transaction, I'm still trying to wrap my mind around that right now without having a fit. Well, that, that was the safety net. That was the idea that if someone steals your your card or your phone, they can only spend so much without before having to prove that it's you. And I kind of understand that because, uh, I mean, with, well, with an Apple Pay, you can make sure you have face censorship, uh, face scan, but with a card, the contactless card, Unless you put a chip and pin, and there's no way to verify that shoot. So I understand wanting a safety net there, but removing it encourages people to go digital. And I'm all for people going digital if it's digitally free, but this is digitally limited and restricted by the government. Um, I noticed one of, someone's put in your comments, Bitcoin's uncensorable, any store or person who wants to accept it can. And I get that. I totally get that in relation to what we were just talking about. But I, I could accept. I could open a store and accept US dollars if I want to do tomorrow. I'm not going to because no one's going to come in my store and pay with US dollars. You, it's not just about the convenience of the merchant. It's also about the convenience of the consumer. And they've got to have a reason. There's got to be an incentive for the store to accept it. My fellow plebs, the Bitcoin conference is back. Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th, is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four-day-long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you are a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. 
So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. What is that breaking point? And each individual is different based on what they value and, and hold close to them. For me right now, I'm deathly afraid of the fact that I wake up tomorrow and my currency and my the value of what I can buy just decreased by 0.1%. Overnight, as that adds up, we're here in America being told it's 7.8%, closer to 15 to 20% in my mind and based on my calculations, what I'm seeing. I think actually last night it was 13.8 is what I actually calculated. But that goes to show you and tell you that like, the state is just going to tell you what they want. It's it's on us to a degree. This idea that they have our best interests in mind, the idea that they know what's best or they're going to do what's best for us. They're going to create the system for Bitcoin to like help it come forward so that everyone can understand it. I don't think that's a realistic ask for the network itself or for people. Um, I'm, I'm a little... I'm curious to know if you think to a degree the state has to intervene to help us get there. If you think that it does have to be something like Bitcoin being legal tender, i.e. the state getting involved, legalizing it, pushing it forward to then get us over that last hump, or if it's something else like a, I, I hate to be so um, extreme about this thought, but like, does it really take people not being able to access their money to, to what we're seeing in Russia and Ukraine and Canada in the UK for them to finally wake up and say like, okay, whoa, we can't have this. Yeah, I, I don't think we have to rely on the state. I think we have to avoid the state as much as possible in every aspect of our lives. The only reason I mentioned making it legal tender is because we're talking about what I would do if I was in power um, and I would free people up from the state. But the state doesn't ever free people up from it. People who are in power always want more power. That's the issue. Uh, so I think it has to be a revolution. Uh, revolutions come around for many, many reasons. And one that you just mentioned is oppression. You know, if a, if a government seizes your funds, uh, and locks people out, then you have to find alternative means. And like we saw in Canada, you know, they, they stopped people donating and froze people's accounts for donating as much as, what, $20? And, and people had to find another way, and they, they resorted to Bitcoin. That, that's fantastic. But I'd like to think that we can get to that point before that, before people being oppressed. Um, I don't know what that takes. I don't know how we get there. Um, I don't know how you spark a big movement like that unless you really promote the pros and the freedom, the liberation that comes along with something like Bitcoin. I feel like Alex is itching to ask, but I'm going to keep this train rolling for a moment, if I may. Um, you're no longer using Coinbase. Are you using something else right now that maybe something like Kraken that very, very loudly and proudly said, like, no, we're not going to shut down these wallets? Or is that just something that you're not paying attention to at this time? I'm not. I'm not paying that much attention to it. I don't have the capacity to keep on top of all this stuff and that's another issue we're all busy we're all doing our own things and unless it's a ho unless it's a hobby of yours but a hobby isn't i mean money isn't a hobby for everyone um so unless you're on top of it it's difficult to keep track so i'll have a look into cracking but even then when, when when there are organizations that say look we'll never do this and we're, we're the good guys it's like how do you actually trust them how do you know that they aren't going to give your ip away how do you know that they're going to seize your accounts how do you how do you trust some some organization that is controlling your money essentially these exchanges in these wallets they have a lot of power i don't disagree i mean we've talked we talked with i believe yesterday about this how the network itself was designed to be decentralized the moment satoshi nakamoto pushed force pushed the final update essentially giving the nodes the right to make changes to bitcoin and seeding his backdoor access that helped and allowed it to be fully decentralized however once we introduce all these different wallets and all these different exchanges, you now create points of failure. You now have these pressure points where a, a government like the US can go to an exchange like Coinbase and say, hey, you have to shut this down. You have to shut this down in this region because we don't get along with them or we don't like what they're doing. Or you could have Justin Trudeau say, hey, anyone who donated money to this wallet, we need to know their information because they're now terrorists. But it's, it is to a degree the idea of decentralization still lives there however there is there is this back and forth because we still need the state to buy into bitcoin and adopting it while at the same time our entire notion and idea is we want to separate money from state so we have this sort of 
we're, we're walking a very fine line there because we still have to appease the state. We still have to do what they do. Uh, I believe the CEO of Kraken said the statement of uh, to the Canadian truckers, get your keys off, get your coins off the exchanges and put them in your own wallets because then I can't do anything. Once it's off my exchange, I can't touch it. That's that's your money and, and I can't be held responsible or be told to lock your account or not, even if you are doing it for using it for illegal activities. I want to I want to give you the opportunity though to ask or to answer what is the majority of your time being taken up with right now? What is it that you are focusing your, your time and efforts on? And oh, that's that's a simple one. God, <laughs> um, I'm I'm praying. I'm discerning my future, uh, working out what, what best way I can serve God and my community. Um, it, it's a very complicated, long story, but essentially, I'm, I'm training for the priesthood. Uh, and, the, and the Church of England, which I'm a member of, it has gone entirely woke. And there are elements within it that don't want me to be ordained and are preventing that and have the power to do so. So I'm thinking, if that's going to happen, where do I go and what do I do next? And how do I best serve God if the, if the woke church doesn't want me? I always, look, I did not grow up in a religious environment. I've taken the time myself to study different religions. What I've always studied and understood about religion is it's supposed to be a very embracing and welcoming community. And yet I hate hearing things that it's, no, you, you have this idea, so therefore you're not one of us. Like I've always held religion to, I think, a little bit of contempt because the way I was taught history, unfortunately, was through the lens of, well, this war was started because this group was this religion and this group was this religion and they didn't get along, so they started this war. Um, I'm curious, what are, what are you trying to do without exposing too much of what, what it is you want to accomplish? How are you trying to fight back against that? Uh, how are you essentially trying to cater to or work with those who don't want you working with them? Well, it's, it's difficult. Um, in, my, in my faith in particular, there's a, a very clear message that needs to be proclaimed, and it is the gospel. Uh, and that's all I try to do. I try to, I try to speak the truth on the platforms that have been uh, given um however that's not always what the institution wants and, and when i say the the church is going to work what i mean is that the hierarchy are more interested in climate change or or brexit or, or our politicians or transgender issues um all kinds of things that have nothing to do with the faith um and they'd rather people talk about them than the faith and that's the issue i have because i will always try at least to preach the truth and if the truth is no longer welcome then i'll do it elsewhere but how do i how do i reconcile with people that are opposed to that um i suppose you don't I suppose some things you can't compromise on and if if they can't see your perspective then they're in error and you just have to pray for their conversion do you feel though that at, at, to a certain degree everyone has sort of the ability or right to believe what they want to believe regardless of if they are right or wrong to a degree, we we unfortunately have that freedom in, I think, most Western countries to have our own thoughts and ideas. Uh, and with that comes ideas of, of, across the spectrum. Not um, everyone has. No, not everyone has. Individuals have the right to believe whatever the hell they want. But if you are an if you are a consecrated bishop in a church, you do not have the right to believe whatever you want to believe. You have to believe the, the creeds. You have to believe in the, the the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. For example, if you don't believe those things, then you you don't belong in that position. Uh, but in general, yes, we all have the freedom. Thank thank God to to believe whatever we want. Is that not a form of censorship? Oh yeah, yeah, of course, it's absolute cancel culture. If you are conservative leaning and or believe in the orthodoxy of the faith at this point you're no longer welcome the gatekeepers will do what they can to keep you out because they are liberal progressive and then they think that society has progressed and that we're in a better place now than they than we were in the past it's, it's very self-righteous and, and you know they, they sneer at traditional values um and i think that is the downfall of of the faith and the, of the religion rather there is a difference between faith and religion and like yourself i've always been quite skeptical of religion because it is made up of individuals and individuals are broken and fallen and get things wrong and that's the greatest shame because people need the structure of it you i have my own definition for the def difference between faith and religion do you mind sharing yours would you be comfortable? In yeah, yeah, sure. So, so for me, the faith is is Christianity. The faith is believing in God, uh, believing that 
his only begotten son uh, became, well, God became man incarnate to die for our sins and was resurrected uh, so that we have eternal life. That is the faith. Religion is an organized structure of people um, that try to lead people uh, and bring people into the faith. Um, the, the whole point of the gospel is to, is to spread the word of God uh, and to, to save souls for Christ. Um, and to, to do that, we need a structure because we can't do it on our own. And, you know, in the, the gospel says that when two or three are gathered, I am there with you. And that, that is what church is, it's, it's people together. Um, so unfortunately, we can't do it on our own. But when we are doing it together, we often err. Um, and that's why we need as many people as possible so that we can hold each other to account. Got it. I mean, look, I, I always say we always move forward and further together. No different in religion, no different in Bitcoin. Um, I, I wanted, I do want to touch a little bit on censorship. I brought it up at the beginning of this episode. Our, our own YouTube channel was taken away from us at one point, and you yourself dealt with some censorship over on TikTok. Uh, I don't need to have you relive that experience, but talk to us a little bit about what you see going on on the social media landscape as far as ideas being shared. Or it happens to me on TikTok all the time. I think I got a video suspended yesterday and I killed it and it's, it's already back up. But the, these trolls will just mass report uh, your videos on there and get them taken down. Sometimes when you get them reviewed, they go back up. Sometimes they don't. But it, it's a case of cultural subversion. It's China laughing their heads off at us because over there, their version of TikTok, which of course is, an, is a Chinese app that is funded by the Chinese Communist Party. But over there, their version is very wholesome and you'll get videos about family life and about being a good citizen and all this stuff. And you won't have constant scrolling. You know, you can only see so many within a time limit and it's all very, very good. Uh, but over here, it's very different. If you're, if you're a blue-haired liberal that believes in 99 genders and you believe that the truth is subjective and you own your own truth, uh, you can you can identify however you like, and it, do, it doesn't matter how it affects the world around you. And that if you're white, you're a racist. If you're black, you're a victim. And all of this nonsense, you're great. Your videos will be promoted if you speak the truth and say, actually, you know, having a X and Y chromosome makes you a male. Having XX chromosomes makes you a female. You cannot change your sex. Or if you say, I, I happen to be black and I'm not a victim, I'm not oppressed, I live in a, a free democracy uh, where we're all equal under the law, then your videos will get suspended. And the idea there is that literally cultural subversion. It's saying that what, it, what used to be objective is now subjective. What used to be truth is now uh, your own personal truth. You can redefine reality around you and it's destroying things like family values and, and, and what I would call Christian values, but you might call all other things that have held Western democracies together. Uh, and, and like I say, China is laughing their heads off at us because it's destroying our way of life. I mean, I, I've read enough studies that talk about how the, the top 10 videos that go viral in China on TikTok tend to be more engineering, STEM-based, educational, teaching people about math, science, engineering, and then here in America, it's the latest dance craze off of a song that's like eight years old. And everyone's like, why is this song so popular now? Oh, but it's like degeneracy. I, it's always a half naked girl. There's always either cleavage or a very short skirt. It's all about de degenerating, uh, it, you know, breaking down family values, um, breaking down our respect for the opposite sex and all this kind of stuff. And it's on purpose. None of it is by accident. But that's just yeah, TikTok, no. you know. The other, oh. other big tech have different forms of censorship. Twitter and Facebook think they are the arbiters of truth. Uh, they think they are, have the moral high ground, and we saw that they can be very clearly wrong. What did they do last week? They allowed people to uh, publish death threats towards Russians because it's now appropriate because Russia are the, the world's bad guys, whereas you can't post death threats to other people. And it's like, well, why is this morally right and that's not morally right? And then at the same time, Facebook said you can't post uh, a couple of years ago, you can't post any theories about um, Wu flu coming from a lab in China, even though that's the most likely cause. And now we know most probably was the most likely cause, but you weren't allowed to publish it because they said it was inappropriate to talk about. Who are they to say what's true and what's not true? Uh, and Twitter taking down a sitting president of the United States of America, supposedly the most powerful man in the world, was silenced by a geek at a computer. That shows how powerful these companies are. They own the marketplace of ideas. They own the information superhighways, and they're not afraid to use that power. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, chime in here, Calvin. Uh, I've loved listening to you and Q talk so far. But uh, I know, I guess, 
I know there's been a lot of theories saying if you were China or another country trying to usurp the United States or just Western beliefs and democracies, um, to Q's point saying like, uh, and even to your point of people being like half naked or, you know, just a trend about someone dancing, wouldn't you want to push that to the other opposing people you're trying to topple to try and get them dumbed down or just not learn anything new while, you know, uh, pushing innovation, engineering um, and new things on, on TikTok and other social media platforms? Yeah, I mean, look at what's happening in, in the Ukraine. Uh, men are standing up to fight for their nation. Uh, over here, we can't even say what a man is. That's how ridiculous we've become. You know, our police forces are painting rainbow flags on their police cars. Over there, they're taking over tanks. You know, it's the, the parallels, the juxtaposition between Western so-called democracies and the East at the moment is, is black and white. We've lost our way. We really have, and we're, we're no longer a threat. And if you, if you are, you know, People keep talking about this idea that diversity is our strength, but in the rest of the world, strength is strength. Russia knows what strength is. Ukraine knows what strength is. Over here, we think strength is, is, is having more brown faces or, or having people of different sexualities flaunting their... This whole idea, the whole LGBT pride thing just really frustrates me because I don't, I don't really care who you're sleeping with, who you're sleeping with, and I don't want to see your genitals. Thank you very much. Uh, tying this back into Bitcoin, I know, um, I, I know, <laughs> you, you, no, tying this back into Bitcoin now, I, I know, um, with you, you were kind of saying there's like different tiers to religion and I'm kind of stealing this from Alex Svetsky. He's a Bitcoiner, but he talks about religion in three facets. So there's the religion itself or the philosophy as we can call it. Then there's the religious interpretation, which can go up to a single individual or even a congregation such as a church. And then there's the religion, the organization. Obviously, normally things corrupt top down, meaning that, you know, the organizations, whether it's the Catholic Church, you know, that's what I'm associated with. Uh, I could see a lot of the woke ideology seeping into it or even the political nature of backing certain candidates uh, globally, worldwide. And I'm sure you see the same thing in the Church of England. But once you get back to the truth of the actual text of the Bible or whatever religion, um, you know, barring that it's not causing harm to other individuals, um, I think that's really what it is. And when we're getting back to the source of money, I see that as Bitcoin. You know, obviously the, the Catholic Church and churches in general saw a division into Baptist, Calvinism, Protestantism, uh, you know, the Church of England. And I won't say which one is right. But when you break it down to exactly what you were saying of like, you know, believing in Jesus being the savior or believing in God, believing in an afterlife and all these different things and trying to better yourself to be there. Um, I see Bitcoin as just that asset where it's the number one. It is truth in terms of truth, in terms of money that we've lied and we've bastardized with the, the fiat system. Um, and I know there's other cryptocurrencies that try and piggyback on top of that, whether they have Bitcoin in their name or they're just a different variation that they've tried to um, expand. But basically, to your point, it's kind of the scary digital world of CBDCs or central bank digital currencies or even just centralized control of a, with a different name, painted a different color, a different, different name and a different logo. Uh, I'd love your insight if you see that the same way about Bitcoin or if you've ever thought about it like that. Yeah, that's interesting, because I think that's what the Reformation was all about over here. It was about, you know, the Catholic Church had become too corrupt. It had moved too far away from the truth. And it was about returning to scripture, return to the source. And I think that's a, that's a very good ideology, always return to the source. Uh, in regards to Bitcoin, I think we have to be careful in, in these analogies because we don't want to seem like we're worshipping money. Uh, or or worshiping, worshiping a financial system. But I get, I get where you're going with it. Um, I don't know if Bitcoin, like I, say, I said earlier, is, if Bitcoin is the answer or if it's an early concept of, of, an, of, of an answer. And it certainly raises the right questions. Um, I'd like to see how we get from where we are now to where we want to be. I don't know what that middle, that from A to C, how we get, I don't know what B is um, in terms of mass, uh, mass take up and... I, I, sorry, I have, a, I have a comment because I think one thing that I'm thinking about as, as you're talking about this and we talk for a moment about we watch these Ukrainian cities, citizens stand up and fight for their country. Yeah. I, I unfortunately think 
our generation is going to be doing that with the financial markets. We are going to, as a, an entire world, have to stand up against the WEF. We're going to have to stand up against the IMF, and we're going to have to stand up against this fiat system that's been created so that my kids, your kids, Chris's kids, Alex's kids can one day just walk into a bank, uh, not even know what a bank is, and just walk into whatever grocery store they want and buy a candy bar, buy whatever they want to buy with Bitcoin. And that UX for them is going to be so easy and clear and precise because we did the work and we fought that fight so that we could then make it easier for the next generation. It's going to suck for us. That's that's my choice. It's going to suck. Our generation, it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be fun. When we're really old and gray and our grandkids are walking around with us and I have my uh, $100 bill laminated as a bookmark and they'll ask me, what is that? Let me tell you, this is how I used to buy marijuana before marijuana was legal. Yeah, Sorry I mean, to interrupt you. That was, that, I had to say that before I forgot that. Please continue. No, because you're spot on. That might be how this works. That might be how the takeover happens. Because the fiat system, as we know, is dead. And they're trying to, I, I don't know what they're trying to do, but we know that the WF, WEF and the world leaders have a, this, uh, this new industrial revolution idea of replacing it with something else. And when that comes to play, when they come up with their new digital currency that is part of a global central bank that they want to control, when they try and push that new currency, maybe that's when the big battle happens. Maybe that's when we stand up and say, actually, we already have our own here. And this we trust more because we control it. It's not controlled by you. So maybe, yeah, maybe the war is coming to us and, and that's the solution. Yeah. Uh, and definitely to Q's point, I know he was talking about, we talked about it yesterday, that, you know, when does the system end when, you know, revolutions begin? I know we've seen the rise in gas prices here in the United States and Canada, especially in Europe. Uh, I know things are even worse there, I believe. And, um, you know, Q brought up a great point, you know, even though energy may be getting more and more expensive and in turn everything else, but you really, uh, what, what's the saying? It's like an army is three meals away from a mutiny or whatever. Uh, and, you know, that's the same with civilizations and countries. You know, if, if people can't start putting food on their table, you, you can have all the gasoline you want, but if you can't feed your family, that's much more important. Uh, I know energy and, and food go hand in hand, but, um, you know, I'd hate to see a revolution because, you know, with that only comes more bloodshed, more death, starvation, uh, and de different things like that. You know, I see Bitcoin as a way to protect your purchasing power uh, as it, you know, tries to fight inflation uh, through that. I don't know if you have any comments on that, Calvin. I do. I do. I think we've got to be careful and make sure that, like I say, convenience wins because this isn't going to be as messy as we think it's going to be. I think we've seen already. So over here, for example, we had a system called furlough. So when you were, when we had lockdown, if you weren't at work, the government would pay you. And that's basically a universal basic income. And people became reliant on it. And some people still are to an extent. And so this is this is like a testing ground. So they won't just say, okay, the fiat system is dead. We need to introduce something new. It will be it will be drip fed. It will be actually we're trying something new. Um, you know, people will get comfortable staying at home, being paid by the government through this digital currency, or or they get credits through for the government instead of benefits uh, in cash. They'll get special credits that they can spend uh, in certain places. But it'd be worth more than if they've been paid cash or something. You know, it will be introduced to incentivize people to get on board, and it will be it will be very convenient, very easy, and people will buy into it, and the sheeple will be all over it. So the this problem there is that Bitcoin needs to be just as attractive uh, to people, and or show them how free they can be with it, uh, because people aren't going to believe that they're being entrapped at the at the time until it's too late, until they're already stuck in a system, the new system. I want to give you the opportunity to talk a little bit about. Um, some of your comments you made about diversity. Um, I, I will be quite frank, as someone who grew up in America, post 9-11, from a middle immigrant from a Middle Eastern country, I felt my fair share of terrorist comments, racism. Let me tell you, going to the airport is still stressful, even though I have TSA pre-check. Um, I will say this at, at the same time. I also worked in Hollywood and I absolutely hated when they would be like, this role has to be black. This role has to be Asian. This role has to be a woman. It got to a point where you're no longer hiring the best people or giving the best people the opportunity. We are overcorrected to a degree, in my opinion. Um, I will always cite this though. There is a Netflix comedy special by Hassan Minaj and he it's called Homecoming King. And he talks about his experience growing up just like me, first-generation American growing up in Sacramento. I grew up in Los Angeles in a suburb. And the stories he shared, 
I swear to God, I thought that I was the only one in the world who would have experienced a white girl mocking me saying, oh, you really thought I would ever date you? You didn't think that I said yes to you to go to prom as a joke? Like that happened to me. And to have someone else in a position of notoriety recount a story that happened to them, very similar to my own experience, helped, I think, normalize my life for me. Um, I'm not saying that that helped everyone in my shoes, in my situation, but at least it helped me. I do think to a degree representation matters and helps. However, I think we are at this point of overcorrecting. I don't know if you feel the same or if you think that be gone with it all and just let us have the conversations that we we choose to have and you can go and seek out the conversations that you want. No, there's, there's somewhere between. So people do get discriminated against and people are racist and we need defense mechanisms against that to make sure that everyone's treated equally under the law. But that doesn't mean you fix discrimination with discrimination. So what you were talking about, for example, the, this idea against meritocracy that we, we promote people because of the color of their skin, that's just as bad to me as people who are holding you back because of the color of your skin. You don't fix one problem, one negative with a new negative. So the, the idea is somewhere in between. It's defending people against discrimination. It's not promoting new discrimination. That's how we solve this issue, in my opinion. I had, I had to ask the question while I had the opportunity to speak to you. I will now let, let the conversation reign free for, for Bitcoin going forward. Um, <laughs> we joke in Bitcoin that Bitcoin fixes this. It seems to be, a, uh, it's a, it has its own religion, religious sector, if you will, with the cult of Bitcoin that goes and operates. I don't know where Joe Rogers, please stop pushing the cult of Bitcoin. Um, we also talk about its philosophical benefits. We talk about it through the monetary lens, of course. We talk about it through a social lens. Um, there is the joke that Bitcoin fixes this. Bitcoin solves a lot of our problems. We've talked at nauseum today about how Bitcoin can help solve this separation of fin the financial markets and the state. Are there any other things that you have noticed or learned about Bitcoin during your time exploring it that you think Bitcoin can actually solve other issues or facets as well? Well, the concept of decentralization could fix a lot of things. One of the problems we talked about earlier was the censorship of big tech. You know, social media, it, it could be a force for great good, but at the moment it's controlled by liberal elites in, in California. Uh, so taking them away, taking them out of the picture, having a decentralized uh, social media platform would be fantastic. Something like Twitter that isn't controlled by fools, um, where you have freedom of speech and that's backed up by a system would be great. I'm sure there are many areas that we could implement that kind of technology, but it's difficult and no one wants to do it because people always want to maintain the power of the thing that they've created. Yeah, definitely. I think that's a great point. And uh, Calvin, to your example, I know many people think about Bitcoin, they think about the price. Obviously, that's a very attractive um, uh, idea because you see it going up in value over the long term. Obviously, we're down a little bit from an all-time high, but people also neglect uh, Bitcoin, the network. And when I say that, like it's the way to sh send information or value from person to person or in a decentralized manner without um, anyone stopping you. And a point that I mean to this is there's a company called um, Zion. They're building an, uh, a social media platform that's basically what you say. It's not in the hands of big tech. It's in the individual, in the way that we can send value or information peer to peer across the Bitcoin Lightning Network. Um, I kind of see the internet right now. Are we like uh, internet maximalists? I know people say Bitcoin maximalists, you're Bitcoin and Bitcoin only. But you know, we're using the internet to talk over Zoom right now. There's different protocols. You could visit websites for your banking, ironically, for websites, for whatever different feature you have. Bitcoin, the network is being, you can be built on top of for faster payments with the Lightning Network that doesn't need 10 minute transactions or hour long transaction times to do. And it's instantaneous within like fractions of a second. You could build uh, Zion. And like I said, I have no financial interest in this company. I just know it's something that's being built out right now where they're able to send information without a middleman. You can't be censored. Um, and I just thought that that's, you know, a way of Bitcoin being a base layer and then building on top of it things that we want to see fit in this world. I don't know if you've heard about any of those or if, uh, any of those have piqued your interest. Well, I love that because obviously the World Wide Web is just one protocol on the internet, but people conflate the two and think that the World Wide Web is the internet. Uh, I suppose people don't need to know the difference between the different protocols. Uh, people use email all the time too, uh, and FTP and things like that. But it needs to be, again, easy to use, user-friendly. There needs to be a, a user interface that people can access it without even knowing any of this stuff and just get on there uh, and use the decentralized platform to spread information. 
I completely agree. Right now, Bitcoin still definitely has that cypherpunk coding mentality. It is a small group. We are trying to make it easier by the day to use in terms of all the various apps and platforms and ways to buy it, self-custody and all of that. I hope one day it'll just be as easy as going into your phone and just like looking at an account and sending it. You don't know anything that goes on in the background. I know I personally don't know how a modem and router works, but I know it gives me Wi-Fi and I, I know I can get on the internet with it. I know I can talk to you on the Zoom call. I don't know how Zoom is coding or works. I don't know how the internet's coded and works. So, you know, the easier and faster we can get it uh, operating uh, on a more basic level, the better. Uh, and I completely agree with that. Q, if there's anything you want to add to that. Yeah. I mean, Calvin, I, I watched your comments uh, recently about how it's important for us to recognize both the fact that these social media platforms have the right to allow whatever content they want. They are private businesses, but at the same time, they are currently the information highways for the world. Everything goes through Twitter. I, I don't look at most uh, mainstream media sources other than if I want a good laugh from time to time, just to hear what the, the extremists on either side want to talk about. Yeah. I'm curious though, if we create these echo chambers where, okay, fine, Twitter becomes this left-leaning liberal echo chamber. And then we have places like Zion for anyone who wants more freedom conversations geared towards that. And we slowly start to bifurcate and separate ourselves. Does that not set us up, I think, for more conflict down the line over little things, no different than when we had conflicts over, hey, this land is my land, no, arbitrarily, the, the lot the line is drawn here or arbitrarily, I believe in this God, you believe in that God. So therefore I must hate you. Does it not create those same sort of instincts in humans? It does. And at the same time, I don't think it works. I don't think echo chambers work. So I'm on Getter, for example, and it's, I find it boring. I just, I don't bother browsing because it's all people that think like me posting the same content as me. There's no conversation there. There's no, there's no level of engagement. I go on Twitter and I'm meeting different people having different conversations and I'm being challenged and I'm challenging people. And yes, sometimes it gets heated and I have to step away, but without difference, life is boring and without difference social media is boring so these, these apps unless they encourage people from different backgrounds that actually have some true diversity uh they won't work i, I hope from your lips to god's ears my friend yeah, Calvin, uh, I know we want to be respectful of your time. We're coming up on that hour mark, uh, and I know you got to go. I'd love to definitely send you the information uh, from Alex Svetsky, a couple of his articles talking about the different facets of religion. And uh, not that he compares Bitcoin and religion, but basically how it corrupts. And I think he has some really good perspectives, and I'll definitely send you uh, some information on Get, uh, Get Zion's the name of the website, but Zion in particular is the name of the platform about decentralizing social media. Um, Q, if there's anything else you want to ask Calvin before we let him go. Uh, just where, where can our viewers find more of you, learn more about you, and hear more from you? Uh, good question. I don't really have anything to promote. Um, my website is calvinrobinson.com, but you can find me on all the usual social platforms until I get banned. It's just usually <laughs> Calvin Robinson. All righty, guys. Well, thank you so much, Calvin, for joining us. Uh, best of luck. I, I know it's uh, getting late over there as well, and you're about to head off. So thank you so much for your time. Guys, we're going to cut to a short commercial break before we regroup before FedWatch. You know the drill. Use code YTMAG, get 10% off of your conference tickets so that Chris and I can keep our jobs on the other side of the conference. We're just two weeks out. Two weeks. All right, guys, stick around. 